Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we all are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John, Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two, and we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli watch one episode of Buffy a week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Welcome to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. We're talking time loops, time loops and fruit loops because we're watching Season 6, Episode 5, Life Serial. Make sure to subscribe to hear all the Buffy content and give us a rating. I am your host, Cartoonist Dinner St. John. We have a special guest for three episodes in a row. A complete it's a trilogy. <laughs> David. David Yoder is awesome. Yoder. I couldn't even wait for you to introduce me, but yes, here I am. Uh, and why don't the rest of you guys uh, introduce yourself with uh, the level of sophistication of your surve- surveillance setup? Well, my name's uh, John, and uh, I feel like I got a pretty sophisticated system. I've got my uh, webcam that I'm talking on right now, my other webcam that uh, I don't use, and I have a number of broken, uh, half-taken-apart security cameras in a box. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, my name is Travis, and I have, I'm less sophisticated than, than uh, John. I just have two regular security. I just have two cameras in my house. Well, my name is Michael. I'm the Virgin. I've only seen up to season six, episode. Uh, this is five already for serial yep. life serial. And I have a great reverse surveillance system where I have uh, two phones, got a webcam watching me. I got Google Home, uh, and I'm on the second floor of an apartment, so I can look down on the world. So I guess that's pretty good. Classic oh, surveillance, we call that. Cool, cool. All right. Well, before we get into Life Serial, we're going to do reactions for Season 5, Episode 20, Spiral. Um, John, why don't you read uh, Joanne's comments? Okay. Uh, Joanne Wilkinson says, Fun and interesting insights as always. I agree. The Knights should really be updating their weaponry throughout the years. As to why they haven't killed Ben yet, I think I remember the general saying in this episode that despite their efforts, the identity of the human male has never been discovered, which I suppose makes sense since none of them would remember if they did. Looking forward to more episodes. I love hearing your thoughts and your views. Yay. Yeah, that's a really nice comment. Thanks, Joanne. And uh, uh, Garrett Thatcher says, uh, the writers said, yes, Buffy killed humans, but that it was self-defense. Uh, though she had already tried to murder Faith back in season three and threatened to beat her to death on Angel in Sanctuary. So killing for self-defense is a bit tame. Tame? (laughs) All right. Uh, So let's find out what Life Serial is about by listening to the summary. The Summary In Life Serial, Buffy has to figure out what to do with her life. Should she A, go back to school? Should she B, get a job in construction? Should she C, work at the magic box? Or should she D, hope that someone intervenes? Life would be hard enough for Buffy without the trio interfering with every aspect of her life and competing in a game of one-upsmanship. Warren distorts time and causes Buffy's life to fast forward. Andrew summons demons to destroy Buffy's chances of making it manual labor. And Jonathan creates an endless time loop that Buffy can only escape by making a sale. So what's Buffy to do? Get drunk, 
watch Spike play kitten poker. And in her darkest moment, Giles shows up with a check. Uh, all right. And <laughs> now let's do great lines. Great lines. My favorite line from the episode was, Stop touching my magic bone! And that was uh, <laughs> Jonathan. Uh, and I enjoyed at the opposite end of the spectrum uh, Willow's line social phenomena don't have unproblematic objective existences they have to be interpreted and given meaning by those who encounter them I agree with Willow I think it's a nice point Uh, but I also liked uh, when Anya said uh, don't be nervous just do what I do just picture yourself naked (laughs) (laughs) People who don't feel nervous about social situations will never understand people who do. (laughs) (laughs) The idea that being naked would somehow ease it is insane. (laughs) Uh, I picked two. Um, I did uh, from Buffy um, while she's kind of drunk. I'll beat them up for information, but not to defend your right to gamble for kittens, which, by the way, is stupid currency. Um and uh, I kind of agree with this opinion from Warren. I mean, sorry, this is from Andrew. Timothy Dalton should get an Oscar and beat Sean Connery over the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do you guys have any? Uh, I guess not. I guess, like, uh, I totally spaced on the this part of it. I-, I like the Anya quote the best about just picture yourself naked, which is just quirky and funny Anya. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's All something right. about the nerd humor, which was just so, uh, like, too personal for me to really, like, <laughs> laugh too hard at. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. There, I said off camera that, like, the thing about having these nerds on this episode is, like, they do all the, like, pop culture references for you. Right. Kind of changes yeah. what we even do. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, jump into the kill count. So three demons got liquefied. The same mummy hand was killed at least three times, and I count one dead, but then reset customer. I think that mummy choked her out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right, let's jump into weird notices and trivia. Weird noticings. Well, at the start of the episode, um, like the family's having this nice, fancy sit-down meal with wine. And it's like, how do you have like a, a fancy meal and then tell Buffy she's broke? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. I also feel like, um, based on the way they were spending Buffy's money when she was dead, she probably paid for this meal also. <laughs> yeah, Buffy, we spent the last of your money on this nice dinner that you weren't a part of. How? What are you going to do now? <laughs> so can we all agree that what do you want to do with your life as a question is the worst question you can ask another human, and it's rooted in a deep, condescending place? Because like... When Buffy walks in and Buffy, like, I actually couldn't understand what Giles said at first because it sounded like, it sounded like he was asking about Buffy about being a woman or something. I don't know why I misheard that so many times because I watched this episode twice, right? And then he's like, what are you doing? What are you going to do with your life? Right? And it's like, what are you doing with your dad? What are you doing with your life, Giles? Like, what are you doing with your life? I wish Buffy reversed it. Instead, yeah. she like gets into it. Yeah, that'd be great. She's like, we've all been worried about you for years, Giles. <laughs> Apparently he's financially well off, though, as the end of the episode indicates. Oh, yeah, no, I think he's loaded. 
Yeah, no, it's totally condescending. It's a total like dad move. And and as an adult, I feel like I get sometimes now to participate in the asking of this question to young people. You know, other adults want me to like be in the room and like, hey, hey, you should talk to my son. Hey, what do you what do you do in your life, buddy? What do you want to do? And it's like, oh god, I don't want I don't want to plus <laughs> plus and uh, yes and any of this shit. Uh, I have to do some light careers counseling kind of conversations in my job. And uh, yeah, this conversation never goes anywhere good because I don't think anybody knows the answer to this question, even when they're already in the midst of doing what they're going to do with their life. (laughs) Like uh, much less somebody who's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, in late adolescence or uh, early 20s or whatever. Like you're like, they're going to have any idea. (laughs) I mean, it's a question that's designed to fuck with you. Like it's. Literally, like, you could ask anyone on the street, what are you doing with your life? And, like, they would get an existential crisis, like a mini one right in front of you. It's like, you could also ask, how are you doing three times? And that would all get to the same place. But how are you really doing? No. But come on, how are you really doing? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, He's stressing me out. (laughs) Well, on a lighter note, uh, the van that that the nerds have, um, there's no way that Death Star is, like, painted on, as they seem to be implying... Uh, like I, I, I can believe, like that's it, a master airbrush, like master masterfully airbrushed. It was an I airbrush. Just say if Andrew can do that, that should be what he does. That should be what he's doing <laughs> in his life because that's the some de- very high level skill. Yeah, the details on there, he would need like a bunch of like like I don't Stencils. know like cardboard like like little cutouts for like the areas he's gonna paint or whatever. Like it looked like he was just doing it like freehand, and it's like no <laughs> no freaking way. Like that's not that's not happening. Without any reference or anything, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's the level of nerd he is. Okay, he's better than I am, then, I guess. Yeah. They're supervillains, we're not. <laughs> um, I heard a funny Tom Link story last night. I'm friends with uh, somebody who knows him from L.A., from her L.A. days. And she said that um, when he first was cast as the vampire back in season five, they were working on Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and he had to come to work after the first, like makeup test with like literally bloody eyes not even bloodshot but bloody because like the people doing the makeup were not being gentle about putting in the like vamp uh, makeup the the uh so that sounds terrible <laughs> so i'm glad he for his sake that he's not wearing the vamp makeup anymore oh my god not getting stabbed with fingers in the eye uh Coming back to the van for a second, I just want to, um, I spent a lot of time freeze framing and looking at all the details of this amazing battle van, uh, which is called the Death Star, by the way. That's actually the name of the van, because uh, at one point you can see on one of the, uh, when you see the image of the security camera that's from the van, it says uh, something like um, battle, uh, Death Star exterior. So that's the name of the van. It's called the Death Star. So the Death Star has the following things in it. It has a beaded curtain. It has an espresso machine. It has an electric fold-up scooter in the back, which I like to think of as sort of uh, the escape pod from the from the van. It has uh, a koosh ball. It has a gigantic super soaker. It's got separate analog clocks for time zones in Tokyo, Moscow, and Sunnydale. And my favorite part of the van is that it runs Mac OS 9, which is a very classy operating system. Thank you. Thank you, John, for all that. Uh, who do you think would win, the battle van or the turtle van? <clears throat> oh, definitely the the Death Star battle van. Totally, it's a classy, classy van. In a classy van competition, I don't know if it's a, who can launch the most plastic so you, tiny pizzas. 
John, I know you pulled a quote from the sociology class, but I feel like what they're saying just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm I'm relating to Buffy in that scene. Like, it's just gobbledygook, like, not intelligible. Yeah, no, I think, uh, actually, I, what he's talking about is social construction of reality, which is, I guess, I suppose, is the idea that um, reality itself is something that we all kind of have to uh, agree on. Um, so, like, Willow says that... Uh, you know, cultural events aren't something that have unproblematic uh, social existences. So like, you know, like it's March right now, but it wasn't March for the Aztecs, right? So March is not an, a, an objectively existent phenomenon the month of March. It's uh, something that's socially constructed. And then they kind of talk back and forth about the degree to which, uh, you know, reality is something that is decided by the individual versus it's something that's decided by society. I Most of what they except, say makes except- sense. Except it's bullshit because literally they're not talking back and forth. They're just they're just quoting the text of each other. Cause oh it's yeah, totally. Memorization class. So it's like this idea of like, oh, we all socially construct our reality based on our individual thoughts and like views. But you all have to have the same thoughts as views as me, Mike. <laughs> um, so really, I'm constructing reality because I'm yeah. a teacher. This is this like, insane like dream of a class too, where like you go in and teach and everyone's done the reading really well. Like that doesn't <laughs> exist. Like there is no undergraduate class that goes like this. Like it's more like you call on somebody and then like the students look at you like uh, uh for like ten minutes. <laughs> it seems more like philosophy subject the way like the discussion was going than like sociology. That's not. I don't know. I, I think this falls happily under sociology. I, uh, there's a lot of things that are skirt that borderline between uh, social and, and philosophy. It's, it's a perfect not a hard science. I'll tell you that. It's a perfect emotional scene, though, because like I, we've all had that experience, though, of like being places we don't belong. Like yeah. you just stepped into the wrong room in yeah. your life, and you're like, "Oh, that's what happens in this room." Whoops. I don't belong here. Don't they say that she's auditing the class? That Buffy's supposed to be auditing? Like that's not what auditing a class is right like isn't that usually like a master's student that's like like basically TAing or something like it's not it's not just sitting in on your friend's class that's also taking a class this is just testing the waters of auditing right no no i mean an audit is when you are not officially enrolled but you still get to go to the class um when i've audited classes and uh sometimes uh professors will make you do it officially through uh the registrar's office uh, but sometimes it can just be you're literally just sitting in on the class, but not getting a grade. I went to art school. I don't know these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I felt like I didn't speak English when I was listening to whatever they were talking about. Like I was dizzy. <laughs> I was like swimming. And I thought to myself, am I having a stroke? Because I don't understand anything of what they were saying. Thank you, Travis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that first time distortion nightmare that... Uh, Warren sets up like as part of his time distortion nightmare since they all have like their whatever their gamified versions of fucking with Buffy happening this episode that stuff is crazy the idea that time would speed up and then do it just for you and that everyone else I mean I assume you're just standing there like a catatonic zombie <laughs> right but like yeah. uh, you're not aware of the time stuff the time that's taking place like that's this is literally an like an amazing nightmare like this depiction of it I, I do like that the first time she experiences it, she's looking at like a Renaissance art book and it's like a heavenly image, which feels like it's both like maybe a reference to where she's been and or maybe even just that she's just hanging out with Angel. 
you know, I think that's a pretty neat little thing. I saw the visualization of time freezing as like kind of the reverse Flash or like a uh, quick like Quicksilver like in the X Men movies or Flash and Justice League where they're going super fast and everyone's moving like super but like she's basically the other person there and she's surrounded by a world of flashes that are like like running into <laughs> right. her and stuff like so yeah. if, if other people are experiencing her as frozen that means when she was crawling across the college campus somebody kicked her <laughs> well, shitty she's, as she's going so slow or or Tara saw that she was like gone like catatonic and frozen and like ran halfway across the hallway was like what do you why are you being so slow buffy (laughs) well we don't we don't see like her trying to like get buffy to move maybe like you know it just jumps to the end i kind of wonder how long she blocks that water fountain but um (laughs) also when she does find the device that warren planted on her it's so small and it like has such like super technology and it has a freaking like camera in there too like how is that possible they're very and and many miniature explosives yeah Yeah. listen if they just yeah if they just uh you know, sold their tech, they'd be billionaires, but that's not what they're <laughs> they, here for. It's they'd not be about... trillionaires. Trillionaires. They'd run, a, they'd run the world. It's like, not about making money. It's about taking money. It's about, it's about how the Buffy bot, like, appears, like, pale, like, a tame, like, rejected, you know, technology. It's like, oh, that, that Buffy bot, that lifelike, super strong robot human. Also, nah. so they call it an inhibitor, which implies like it's something happening to Buffy. But when Warren gets to the van and they watch it, they're experiencing Buffy time, right. which means they that technically they sped up the world around her, which is even more advanced technology. Well, that's also true of the time loop spell. They're also watching the time loop, watching from Buffy's perspective. So all, with the exception of the demons, all the spells and things that they do to Buffy, they also do to themselves. Which I think must be on purpose because it's just all like this Dana mining uh, plan to like learn more about Buffy's abilities, apparently. Um, but it's interesting, uh, f- just thematically, that everything they do to Buffy, they do to themselves. When you go for revenge, you dig two graves. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you point a also magic the- time controlling finger, there's three <laughs> magic time controlling fingers pointing back at you <laughs> and your nerd friends. The problem is, like, how much more data do they need on Buffy? They know her yeah, they real have name, so much. where she lives, all of her friends. They have everything Spike gave yeah, her. Yeah, right. They made the Buffy bot. Her, her entire <laughs> high school career. Like, there's, they know more about her than any other demon or organization. They know that Anya likes and, money. I mean, they have everything, right? <laughs> like, Jonathan is legit friends with Buffy. Yeah, he totally burned that bridge doing this game. Well, not yet. I mean, I don't think she knows Jonathan's behind this yet, right? That's right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I know we don't usually comment on this kind of thing, but uh, I just thought it was weird. Buffy looked like she wore a corset to her college class. Like, that's a very weird outside, wearing outside wardrobe. At least well, to me. it was safer there than at the construction site. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, I was watching this, and like I, a lot of this nerd shit hits real close to home i'm sitting there watching them and he's like okay what's my score and then everybody sits around and is like oh let's uh let's calculate using a complex formula the score that you get for your effort here and i was like what kind of nerd friends sit around and create complex systems to give scores to their other <laughs> nerd friends <laughs> i was like this feels you mean like for really making predictions way too fucking familiar <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just felt a little bit too close to home. 
all of this does. Like everything, like uh, the like the nerds of a certain sort of era, the um, you know the sort of the casual sexism, the casual homophobia, the um, constant insecurity around your friends, and like felt very familiar. It was, uh, they've they've got the number on this culture, I think. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they're pretty ahead of the curve of mocking the specifics of it. Yeah, not just like nerds, not just the outsider, like nerds. But it's funny to think too. They're like, if this came out now, like the, the the who they're targeting or who they're representing, like the backlash that would be represented then on like Twitter and whatever, like of being like, that's not how we are, and like you know, like or boycott Buffy then or something like. <laughs> yeah, this is really a nerds of an era. You've really called it out. I mean, totally. They they nailed it. This is like a '90s nerd. Boom, homophobic, insecure. And also, like, obsessed with technology, you know, for meaningless ends. <laughs> self, meaningless, self-serving ends. I, I, uh, there's the beginning part where Warren is, like, describing all the surveillance camera. And Jonathan's like, ah, don't tell me about it. Just tell me about it. Like, that, I felt that. Because I was like, as the nerd friend who is never as, like, tech-savvy as the other nerds. <laughs> 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 yeah, let's talk about the construction crew a bit. This is this scene is horrible. The the whole crew is just a bunch of sexist assholes and like they're really playing it up to the nines and like it's all the male bullying stuff that like is normalized within this construction world. And I get it like certain viewers of this or listeners to this podcast will say like, "Hey, it's funny, dude. St- just relax." But like <laughs> it's it's like so it's just a really frustrating scene and I feel like this episode in particular it really plays out these horrific male characters and like it for comedy right and like the construction crew is the worst Did I you mean call- the one guy had um a faith ta- he had the faith tattoo the armband Oh no I didn't notice <laughs> I bet they just had extra like t- faith uh stickers they're like ah, I just <laughs> put it on this guy <laughs> I mean, also, I mean, the Gidget insult is weird. That's from another era. Like, I don't, I don't relate to the Gidget insult. Uh, yeah, that, but that's, like, <laughs> that's the writer's uh, generation, not, not this construction worker. But uh, yeah, they made a joke about affirmative action, which is why a woman should be working there. Like, hey, don't get the lawyers out. Affirmative action. You know what I mean? And like, I've heard that like blue collar argument before. <laughs> Like, yeah. it just brought me right back into the 90s, the worst parts of it, where I'm like, oh, yeah, affirmative action, right? Because, uh, you know, people of color and women shouldn't be given any advantage. It should all be based on the uh, meritocracy, which means white guys are in charge. I mean, just fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that argument. Fuck that world. <laughs> I just hate that whole scene. And then, like, calling out Buffy, you know, like, oh, it must be on your period because, uh, <laughs> you know, you're acting so weird. Like, just... <laughs> she, like... I, the scene is problematic, you know, because of those characters, but then it's also like they're in their own cloud world where they can't even see reality where like Buffy is attacked by demons. She protects them all. And then they deny both being yeah. protected and they the existence of it. demons. Yeah. And it's like, and she gets in trouble, loses the job. Like I get, she's problematic in part because she like attracts demons, right? That's going to always be an issue for her. And so maybe she shouldn't work in a construction field. Like she actually can't, right? Because she's going to attract demons and they could damage a thing. But like, the idea that they deny the existence of that world. I mean, it just plays up. These characters are just like, they're so insulated from reality, right? It feels like you're entering the rush Limbaugh zone or something like that. It's just its own world. And like that fact that literally attacked by demons and they don't see it 
is terrifying. <laughs> like they're are you, fucked. Are you saying, Mike, that they're sort of constructing a <laughs> unique reality uh, from yes. their own point Ooh, of view get out of on here. one side or another of a gender divide? That uh... John, John, take a break. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say to play devil's advocate that, like, even in the con- even if the construction workers had been accepting and said, like, "Hey, this is what happened," I think Buffy still would have lost her job because, like, whatever she did to that scissor lift, that's probably out of commission for a while. She did like like undo a lot of the work that they were doing at that site like there's kind of a point there maybe of like xander saying the money that they cost it didn't seem like that much damage honestly other than the scissor lift which was a really great decapitation i really liked both these demon designs and uh this fight scene was like a number one yeah Um, is it me or do they blow like the season's entire special effects budget on this episode. There's so there's many so many great, demons. Good, there's yeah, a lot of really demons. good demon, demon designs. Um, I'm, and I'm noticing. I'm, I think I'm noticing uh, some design differences for demons from season six onward. Like, I think there's less complex details around the face and more um, prosthetics around the head instead. Right. But like, um, it, that kind of typical Buffy, like really detailed, like lots of lines around the face seems to be going away. Um, but these demons had the like, um, vagina dentata mouth. <laughs> uh, they were like crazy looking and they're not even the weirdest demons we see this episode. We'll get into that later. Um, but that construction battle always reminds me of a very specific Avengers comic, which I always remember well because it's the very first Avengers comic I bought. Avengers Annual Number 19 from 1990 has a backstory where the Wrecking Crew come to fight the Avengers on a construction lot, and the construction crew is like, oh no, the superheroes fight is going to destroy everything. So they quietly defeat all these supervillains without Captain America noticing. <laughs> Uh, the construction like, workers do? Yeah. <laughs> Which to me is great. And it really set up this thing of like, in the Marvel Universe, basically anyone can be a superhero. It's just whether you decide to or not. Because everybody is always super muscular and has <laughs> access to crazy weaponry. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's a really solid little short story in the middle of this crazy Avengers annual. Where... What did you think of them turning into that CGI goop at the end when they got killed though, Dennis? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that wasn't the best. That reminded me of uh, what's that? What was that Nickelodeon show, The Secret Life of Alex Mack? Do you remember that? <laughs> she became a liquid in that. Um, viewers will, our listeners. Don't know. <laughs> uh, it was. It, I did like that. In spite of the like very like unrealistic uh, CG effect, that it did leave a practical effect of a grease stain. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of sold it at least a little bit. I like also that it's like um, in this like uh, competition between the two, the three of them, uh, Andrew's monsters were defeated very easily with not like yeah yeah she got fired but like that was a very easy fight for her did not take a lot of time he should have practiced the flute more I guess to, to me the uh, those monsters looked like the closest the closestly closest legally allowed similarity to the predator with, <laughs> that you could use. Like, sounds like, all right, give me the closest legal, legally allowed monster to the Predator. Because it had, like, the pseudo-dreads. Yeah. I don't know. To me, they just looked like the Predator, but, like, the distant cousin. <laughs> uh, not, not, as, not as quite as close as a, as a Nausicaan. I, I like that they had, like, full hoodies and gloves on and stuff. <laughs> so it's like, I like to imagine that that was just their heads. Oh, and their, like, human body the rest of the way. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty typical. <laughs> yeah, you can't blow the budget on a full monster. Yeah. Play dumb jot, human. Like all Starfleet, you talk and you talk, but you have no gramja. <laughs> that was a proof of nothing, right? <laughs> like, you could just say that any time. Oh, I love it. Uh, all right, sorry, let's move forward. No, no, it's, I, I, I love it. Um, <laughs> I don't know what... Do we have a name for this crew of Jonathan, Warren, and Andrew? Uh, they, at the they, end of the episode, the call themselves the trio. The trio? That's the name? Yeah. Well, the trio, uh, which I didn't re- I've watched this twice, did not catch that that was what their name was because that's so not a name. It's like three people. It's like, anyway, the trio. Uh, man, they are horrible at cooperation, despite the fact that they appear to have this, um, you know, amazing unearthly technologies at their disposal and like are futzing with Buffy in the craziest ways this episode. They do not cooperate at all. They're the competitive thing, like this... Uh, nerdy dick measuring thing that they're doing is crazy um yeah it all hits close to home that's all i'm saying <laughs> yeah. yeah they clearly don't like play enough cooperative games they can't they can't even share the binoculars yeah it's it's pretty bad yeah andrew was psychotic about that warren had them for like a second <laughs> And then I just want to reiterate this point again about nobody wants to acknowledge the existence of the supernatural. And that feels like the whole Buffy versus Angel universes, which I think I've said it before. So just repeating that kind of formula here where like the supernatural elements, uh, like the monsters, like all the construction crew sees these monsters, but they must not exist. And and so nothing needs to change. You know, the social construct of reality can stay the same despite the existence of monsters, despite the existence of time vortexes, despite the, despite the existence of ground, like whatever the Groundhog Day thing that happens in the retail store, despite that, like these things, like nerds can have access to these texts, like, or create these things, like the world is still, it's the world we know, guys. Like, that's crazy. The amount of stuff that happens in this episode that like could collapse, like the, the our perception of the world as we know it if it was like perpetuated anyway or acknowledged is crazy. The fact that it's just like a game between three guys. I mean, it just feels like they're three gods essentially. Uh, and they could totally, you know, misplace or, you know, replace the, the trio with a, a trio of like, you know, evil genies. <laughs> I mean, it's just so crazy. Um, anyway, that's it. Angel, however, I think would treat this completely differently. Like Angel yeah. as a show would be like uh, the construction crew would be, asking Buffy for help. Hey, we got demons hanging around these guys. I think it's that black van. Like, they would be putting it together. On Buffy, however, it's like, Buffy's the only person, her and her friends are the only people who have knowledge of this universe and everything else is just like ignoring it. And anyway, she th- and this is why she can never get a job because they're ignoring this reality, right? Like, if they ignore the existence of Supernatural, Buffy's amazing gifts can never be used. Ugh. Yeah, I think Sunnydale's just so used to this happening all the time that they don't, like you said, they don't acknowledge it. Like we even saw last episode how at the bank, the the bank guy was like, he, he couldn't say exactly why, but he's like, for some reason, houses in this area, like their value doesn't hold up. And it's like, maybe because there's a vampire attack like every single night, you know, like. <laughs> I, I, it feels especially insane in this episode because um, it's implied that nobody else is like, like even people in the Scooby Gang are like not believing Buffy's experience, and which right. feels extra insane. Like, at what point do you just believe Buffy? Like, I don't know, man. If I was a member of the gang, I would believe Buffy. So the magic box apparently sells sex toys. Uh, Sapphire ding dong. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's I when mean, Warren says it's so boring and he's falling asleep or whatever. It's like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah that sounds like a, like the beginning of an interesting story there. Um, it make, maybe helps me make more sense of like how the magic box is staying in business and stuff. If they're like, oh. I mean, a store called the magic box definitely would have a back room with just sex toys. Yeah. I feel yeah, like how right? is the magic box? Just it's not a sex shop. They must get people in there all the time. That curtains like walk through for the adult section. That's what they that guy have... looking for the candle was looking for. I bet. Am I am I missing something? I thought the candle was just like a like a supernatural aphrodisiac, right? Oh no! Yes, uh, supernatural. Before Viagra. the time loop starts, Anya's telling a story, and we don't hear the whole story because it like cuts to them watching. But there's this whole thing about like a sapphire ding dong, and you're like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was just making a joke that the candle guy was also looking for ding dongs or such. <laughs> But yeah, since we're talking about the store, uh, Giles's uh, tidbit of like treat the store like a library—that's his advice. Like that's not that's not very good advice for a retail store. I don't think. <laughs> like I work at a bookstore, and I don't think even like I've ever heard anyone suggest like, yeah, we should treat this like a library. <laughs> that doesn't I, I work. Mean, it makes sense to me from Giles's point of view because it's like what he knows. But it, it makes literally no sense to tell somebody who's not a librarian. Also, so like, like Giles was not very service oriented when he was a librarian. It's not like true. he like, was really like a great librarian. He was not focused on that job. If at we all. recall back to to high school, nobody came into that library. Or he would close it so they could have their secret meetings, and probably yeah, no one could come in even if they wanted to or something. But yeah, yeah. Remember the episode Jonathan tried to come in, and they're like, "What are you doing here? <laughs> um, uh, what's going on with Buffy's top?" Okay, so uh, earlier on in the college when the um, time slowing down, speeding up thing happens, uh, you can see, if you look at uh, the bottom of the dock, Buffy's wearing a pendant that has uh, sort of a black background and then a white little Victorian-looking silhouette of a woman's uh, bust of a woman, right? And then later, this scene in the magic box that we're on now, uh, she has an outfit, she has this top where there's another sort of silhouette of a victorian looking woman that is embroidered as a doily that is a window to her midriff it's really hard to describe (laughs) in words but like it's a black top and then there's an oval shaped hole in it which is filled in partly with a profile with a with yeah with the silhouette of a woman's profile that's sort of embroidered like a doily so it's a doily window to her belly button. It's really strange. It's a very bizarre shirt. I didn't see that the first time. I did notice that her name tag was down at her hip level, though. Like yeah. that seemed kind of odd to me. The name tag's great. Ask me about curses. Yeah, yeah. Interesting outfits this episode. That Groundhog Day retail crisis. I don't know how you want to talk about that curse. How that curse works? Because that's amazing. It's an amazing nightmare. <laughs> Again, only an evil genie would come up with this shit. Like the time distortion stuff. And of course, I mean, I haven't seen, and I'm looking forward to Rex because I'm looking forward to seeing the Star Trek and X-Files episodes that this episode is ripping off to see what components are taken from it. Because like... I watched that Next Gen episode like this week because I've been doing a season five uh, rewatch. It's such a good episode. The X-Files episode is really good too. So which episode is ripping off this? Where does the Groundhog Day thing come from? Or is that... I mean, I'm calling it Groundhog Day. Yeah, I think that's Groundhog Day? (laughs) Yeah. 
I feel like we have to recommend Groundhog Day because it's like. <laughs> <laughs> but that that loop is so insane. I guess how is how is the crew how is the trio able to see the loop happening? And I yeah. guess we we're just saying that they go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I wonder if like outside of the shop, time is passing normally, and it's only f- inside the shop, and it's only really for like the four people who aren't Buffy inside the shop where the loop, you know. But I don't know. Because if it's, like, affecting all reality, that seems insanely powerful, right? Yeah, so it's localized time distortion. And then are they tri- – what is triggering the loop? I'm not trying to be daft. Like, what – how do they get out of the loop? How does she get out of the loop? Uh, when she um, successfully sells the, the mummy sh- hand, right, he gave her, right. like, a impossible task to complete. Which I don't know if that means he created. I don't know if that means Jonathan actually created the customer, or if this was going to happen no matter what, and it was just like the loop. I don't know the answer to that. A lot of inside knowledge. If uh, the customer was not part of Jonathan's creation and the mummy hand was like already there, I don't know. That's a very good mummy hand. I was wondering if it was um, a reference to Inca Mummy Girl, since that was Jonathan's <laughs> first episode. Oh, oh, and true. Jonathan in it is almost killed by the Inca mummy girl and she's stroking his face and he's like, oh, you have rough hands. Mummy hands. Or, or daddy hands if they're I hairy. Just, I just don't understand how you sell the mummy hand. Like, I don't understand, like, just the very idea. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> totally. How do you sell I don't this? know why they keep it loose. That yeah, why insane. is there not a cage? Like, clearly this could all be solved, but there is actually literally, there's a bird cage in that basement, which we've seen in previous episodes, which you can see in the background of this one as well. They have, a, like, a Victorian bird cage. That's a lot of space for the mummy hand. It can walk around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like having, like, a wild tiger in the basement. And somebody being like, oh, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to buy your tiger. Sure. Let me go down there and be mauled by the tiger every time. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting the recommendations to be, like, uh, Adam's Family and Family Values or uh, uh, Evil Dead. Uh, well, I've, I've definitely already recommended Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Um, but we can always do it again. Yeah. Uh, John made a GIF. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Click on it now. <laughs> I really I, like that shot with the tongs. No, that makes good. me laugh every time. <laughs> it's just cra- it's it's so crazy that th- this this problem's so crazy. I don't even know how you <laughs> construct this problem. So I guess like that's what I mean. The retail thing, like you actually have to sell something in order to get out of this loop because she has to be good at her job. She has to be good at something, right? Because she's on kind of these three different quests, and they're all like. They're all, like, slightly confused why she has three different jobs, but, like, who cares? But, like, she's trying to figure out what her thing is in life, right? That's kind of what we're seeing kind of play out. And these are three kind of job scenarios. Work, this job. Oh, right. construction, retail. Like, and I she, like how John, or Andrew didn't even know the name for working retail. Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of shop sales girl person. <laughs> that is sort of amazing for this supposed genius who doesn't know what the fuck this job is. Ugh. I mean, I really, uh, it, it does capture very well what like working service jobs feels like, like that sense of just doing the same thing over and over again, and that it's completely fruitless. All I could do was um, just kept thinking about if, if, if me, because I'm, you know, my life is a bit strange right now. It's like, it's like one of us just like going to work with like each of our friends and like how wild it'd be for me to go to work with Mike and then Dennis. And <laughs> I then love that. John. And then like all of our struggles and this like. That's basically what it is. It's like your friend is like 
apocalyptic and they don't have anywhere to go and you're like well come to work with me maybe this will help you find your way in life yeah i I like that idea as like an adult that just doesn't know what to do and so they're like i'm gonna do like yeah one at a time like what everyone i know does no that's this is uh what's my line part three um and we've talked about it but yeah the solving the solving the puzzle um is to you know have a satisfied customer but i i part of me was thinking the first time through like well maybe she'll figure out what that candle guy really needs because like that would be a satisfied customer as well right if he got what he wanted and left sapphire ding dong <laughs> well they already sold that so i guess he can't get <laughs> i what, think it was uh, returned i think that's the end of the story Ooh, secondhand sapphire ding dong um i mean so just based on the amount of like suffering she was put through jonathan very clearly won that competition right everybody else is oh yeah i think jonathan definitely wins maybe not maybe not on points but really you think jonathan wins gosh i mean like all buffy had to do for the other ones was crawl across a campus and then like beat up some creatures which she's very good at this is the one that like genuinely made her suffer made her cry yeah it broke her down yeah um oh and i forgot to mention earlier when she breaks uh, Giles' glasses when he says a thing about the library for the 50th time or whatever like I was legitimately like a little bit horrified just like for myself thinking like oh no glasses like you need those to see <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's so offensive that they would make her pay for the shipping yeah that is ridiculous yeah. I mean like I would have quit too like, yeah, even yeah. if she hadn't suffered through like a Sisyphean hell <laughs> That clearly like, indicates to me that Anya is a bad boss. I don't totally. Know, like, no, like she's just like a really, that. she's like super American. Like she is, she's like the definition of American capitalism. But like the idea that like, it also says, shows it like, that's like, you know, work, that's like work time. It's not like friend time. Friend time would be like, oh yeah, this girl who's taken more punches for me than I can get. La la la, blah, blah, blah. I was just like so furious at everyone in that scene. And Giles like, I think, I think Buffy would understand. Oh my God, was was that the real timeline when she crushed his glasses, or was that a was was that our timeline? That was, that was no. one, one of the ones oh, that got relooped. I, I thought it was. I thought like this is a great time. The real timeline is when she crushes his glasses and makes the sale. Travis <laughs> is only in like, this for punishing Giles. It's the only reason yeah, he's watching really. this episode. No, no, no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that's like a real reaction. That, that just like that's like. All right, I just thought of another. I know we already have a growing list of recommendations, but a uh, community. The episode uh, is a remedial chaos theory or something where they're playing. Um, they roll the die and like they get different oh, yeah. outcomes. Like I, it's kind of similar, but kitten poker. I really love this scene. Um, it's like, like just really fun to see all these charming looking demons. Um, this is. Uh, I don't know if he gets named this episode, but there's a fun looking uh, skin demon. Um, <laughs> uh, one that was not as charming is the bartender with the snake tongue because I feel like that was probably just a real guy with a split tongue and I did not like it <laughs> uh, but I liked all those other demons and kitten poker is totally insane uh, apparently play it <laughs> as food <laughs> but it's also Kittens, like they're delicious <laughs> they act like it's I, it's I don't understand how the economics of it work because Spike shows up with no kittens. Somebody stakes him, and then he wins all the kittens. But doesn't he have to, like, pay back the person who staked him some kittens? I'm very confused about how it all works. It doesn't seem like they're really thinking it through. 
I mean, this is clearly a gambling scene written by someone that doesn't gamble, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. How does kitten poker last more than one hand? And also, <laughs> apparently, everyone is cheating. Like all of them are cheating, <laughs> yeah. which is like makes it like Calvin Ball. Like it just, it's just like. Remember in uh, Next Gen when uh, Data plays poker against uh, uh, the 19th century folks? And he totally. Gets Time's for, arrow. Uh, yeah. Part two. Good episode. And what happens to Data? Oh, I mean, he, he wins. He takes everybody's money, yeah. including the card sharks, who I think <laughs> are supposed to have been cheating also, right? But Data, obviously, the card counter. That card could have fallen in that fold a week ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, I always a good, I always enjoy a good uh, comedic Sarah Michelle Gellar performance. Um, and she's really funny, drinking, making the blah sound every single time she drinks. Uh, and then her getting so drunk she can't like swing at the monster. Very funny. Yep. Uh, brings me back to season four when she was doing comedic, doing the comedy shtick more. This is the last. This is the first time we see her drunk, right? Since beer bad, right? Since, first yeah. time since beer bad. That's right. There, we are going to have to address like a prediction about this. <laughs> and as she's drunk, she uh, drunkenly kicks uh, Jonathan in demon disguise. There, um, and to me, I think what he was going for was like uh, the Tim Curry and Legend kind of look there. It's a I very love classic the wings demon. too, though. Like, man, it, it's so awesome looking that demon. Uh, if you go down to the bottom of the dock, I've compared it to both the Tim Curry legend. And I always it always reminds me of Mignola's first drawing of Hellboy. I mean, basically, they're all riffing on the same thing, which is like, you're like, classic devil. Right. Uh, and he's even, he's even got kind of the Hellboy gauntlets on both arms. And he's got the um, uh, skull crotch, which kind of reminds me of Dungeon. Um funny stuff and he's got the proportional strength of jonathan (laughs) i will simply die (laughs) (laughs) all right well giles wrote a check to buffy like seriously like he could have saved her at any time but chose this moment to save her i guess he writes her a check that's it's about time uh travis isn't giles doing something responsible as a father figure writing a check Yes, there are some points. There are some negatives. Okay, there are some positives. I realized I was very negative about Giles' last last uh, episode. Yes, you know, money. There's two. There's two parts. Number one, you know you're in trouble when someone hands you a check for an insane amount of money, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll accept it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Let's let's be honest here. You know you're in serious trouble if someone writes you a giant check and you're just like, yeah, no, no, I'm going to take it. <laughs> um, so l- let's let's be honest about that. Like, let's be honest about that. It's nice that Giles gave her the money. However, he it, it clearly is control. I mean, money money is control. I mean, so I'm getting some some. The thing is, she needed money not like at the end of the episode. She needed money last episode, but somehow it took all this time to give her money, let her go through all this and fail. And I know it's a whole trope with television, blah, blah, blah. But like, honestly, as much as, yes, people need money, they need shelter, they need food. But it's like, this was just money. And it's like, Buffy wanted more. Buffy's always needed more than just money. But but it's fine. It's great. She got money. But, you know, what's going to happen when that runs out? I mean, I, I think what it speaks to for for me in this is like, Money means everything when you don't have it, right? 
Yep. And that's what it really feels like. Like they're like that, like how emotional that money is to her, like how it reminds her of her mom, everything. Like that's just how important it is when you have none of it. Um, and like, yeah, Giles should have, I mean, honestly, like Giles is getting paid by the Watchers Council to do nothing. Uh, she should have been subsidized for like a long time, but um maybe it's like uh college sports you can't play you can't pay the athlete until <laughs> a certain point that, is, but, um, that, that assumes yeah. that at some point slayers go pro well, instead she, of just she survived die. past the year that you know she wasn't supposed to i guess hey teachers get paid students have to pay it's just the reality all right like college is like the most irresponsible choice we can all make because it puts us you know puts us in debt or whatever right like Giles is the teacher. But since we're talking about the check, how many zeros do you guys think are <laughs> on that check? Like, just seriously. Right. Uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of, of the doubt that, like, he didn't write the check last episode because maybe he had to move some funds around to make sure that that check would clear. Because he also did say, like, right after he handed it to her when she's like, oh, this is too much. He's like, well, you can rip it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's willing to take it back, like, immediately after giving it <laughs> to her. Um but and Buffy also mentions her deadbeat dad, which I feel like hasn't even been mentioned on the show in quite a while here. I mean, it's we brought it up before, right? It's it's great. I'm it's exciting to see the show acknowledge it. But like, this is should be dad's check, right? Yeah. Like you didn't even know Buffy died in the first place, right? Does her being dead affect like like can she go vote? Like you know like like what does like did, she died right like? Uh, I mean we t- we've talked about this before. Uh, we think that they didn't like any declare any death. Oh right? okay, but they, they buried, buried her, her in, in a secret. cemetery. Yeah, yeah, I. You guys have argued she was buried in a cemetery. I think she was buried in the woods. Um, okay, but just like, like an animal. Zan- Xander built a headstone because he's could apparently do anything uh construction related well i have to wait to catch up to that episode when you guys release it <laughs> yeah we'll see if we ever air it uh why doesn't john talk about andrew's shirt uh probably should talk about this sooner but uh so andrew has this shirt uh and let me describe it really quickly it uh features a picture of a woman who is completely naked uh save a cowboy hat and she's kneeling down and the woman's body is labeled like a butcher's diagram where all the parts of her body are like labeled like rump and thigh and like their cuts of meat. Um, and it says, uh, Kansas cattle queen and, uh, break the dull beef habit is what it says. Uh, this shirt has like this. Apparently I, I spent the entire afternoon researching the history of this shirt and this image. Uh, cause it apparently has this like really complicated and rich history. Um, so this shirt was released, uh, the same year this episode came out by Urban Outfitters in 2001. Um, Urban Outfitters wound up withdrawing the shirt from shelves uh, after um, somebody complained. It was uh, somebody who was an admin assistant in the, the Women's and Gender Studies program. Obviously said the shirt was really super sexist. Uh, uh, women's and Gender Studies program at uh, Yale University, she complained. And then uh, Urban Outfitters wound up withdrawing the shirt, which actually started off Urban Outfitters like doing this whole series of like super edgelordy merchandise and then withdrawing it from shelves, which is obviously free publicity. So there's like, they did like, there was the ghettoopoly board game that they released and then pulled back. And then there was the, uh, there was the t-shirt that said, uh, um, everyone loves a Jewish girl and it had pictures of uh, dollar signs and shopping bags. And then they released, they released that and then pulled it back. And so like urban outfitters, this is the first instance of them doing that is this shirt that Andrew's wearing. Um, 
And so obviously this is where they first learned that like you can do something super edgelordy, pull it back and like that's free free publicity. Like you like by withdrawing it and doing the right thing, you you still like you, you kind of market to both sides, right? Um but this actual image uh of this woman uh as a butcher's diagram has this kind of crazy history. It was on the cover of a book titled The Sexual Politics of Meat, colon, A Feminist Vegetarian Critical Theory. It's apparently a pretty uh, important book in uh, in this field. And what it, it is, is it's kind of making an argument that uh, I haven't read the entire thing. I kind of flipped through it. Uh, it's making the argument that uh, the way that we consume uh, meat and the way that we consume women and images of women sexually are these connected things in culture and trying to make all these connections uh, there. And uh, so so Carol J. Adams wrote the book. She got this image of this uh, from apparently a beach towel that was released in the 1970s. Uh, and this was like released in multiple versions uh, as like a tourist thing. Uh, and so there's a version that says Puerto Rico on it. There's a version that says uh, Glen Falls, Michigan on it. And then uh, I found uh, one that you can buy online uh, on uh, this like Etsy type store. Uh, there's a guy uh, selling it in Dayton, Ohio, uh, a town that we are familiar with. Uh, and uh, my favorite part is that the guy selling it, his username is Brohio. Mm. <laughs> wow. So anyway, uh, I just really enjoyed it. I spent my entire afternoon tracing the history of this image from uh, like this kind of tourist trap. Uh, beach towel in the 70s to... Um, being uh, this piece of this uh, feminist critique in a uh, sort of a cultural studies book in the early 90s and then uh, being this kind of like kind of ironic edgelordy t-shirt in 2001, which is why Andrew's wearing it. Uh, and not that it matters or anything, but the Urban Outfitters version is c clearly um, a redraw. It is, um, yeah. And I think the the, re the thick lines of the redraw are part of the appeal of the shirt. Um if it was just like a straight print from that beach towel. Oh yeah, it would be. look like shit. Yeah, they definitely redrew yeah. it so that it would make a decent silk screen. Thanks for doing that research. I was actually mildly curious in that shirt about that shirt, but I couldn't pause my uh, my Hulu in time to even get a glimpse of it. It was just like that's a woman's backside. What the heck is going on? And then I'm like, eh, not worth it. But thank you, John, for taking the time to do yeah. what others cannot. Yeah, I may take some time and read a little bit of The Sexual Politics of Meat. It seems like a really uh, intense and uh, interesting read. This makes me feel dirty because just yesterday I was looking at cattle diagrams because I was trying to figure out where tri-tip, what cut of the meat is tri-tip. Um, I was so thinking thanks for uh, if George Costanza read this book, maybe he got the wrong lesson and that's where he tried to combine the sex and food <laughs> together. But <laughs> pastrami is making me blush. All right, let's do questions for the group now. Questions for the group. Um, Mike, you got the first one here. Oh, yeah. I mean, we kind of, we grimaced at it, but can anyone understand the point system that's being used to determine who's the winner of this informal contest among the trio? I don't have enough data. Yeah. I. We, apparently, there's a 50-point bonus for ingenuity. There is a 30-point bonus for making physical contact with the Slayer. Which maybe Jonathan should get that retroactively since he uh, he had he, he got kicked by her. Uh, it feels like they didn't even rate Jonathan, which is unfair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but overall, yeah, I don't really understand how the overall system works. I'm sure there's a spreadsheet. And there seem to be a, 
like a multiplier? Oh, definitely. Like, I don't know. When they first gave Warren his points, it was like seven out of ten, and then they multiplied it to like seventy or so. I don't. Anyway, yeah, there's something like that going on. Yeah. So they never like to reveal enough about the system to know how to use the system. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you you rate it out of ten. You rate the okay. You rate how much you screwed with Buffy out of ten, and then you uh-huh. multiply that by uh. 20 yes so that's why he got 140 points it was 7 out of 10 so he gets 140 points right uh, plus bonuses and the bonuses are apparently physical contact getting somebody fired ingenuity yeah getting fired there's 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 bonuses that are seem to be ill-defined I like our rating system it's simple <laughs> yeah. Gosh, why didn't any of us take up stalking? Because we could have done it as a group and really like had some fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, we just needed the point system. Okay, who's the best Bond? Uh, Connery. I think actually uh, it didn't exist at the time, but I think Daniel Craig. Yeah, I like Daniel Craig. I, I'm not a big ba- Bond fan. Yeah, but, I don't really care um, about James Bond, but I do like yeah. Sean Connery the best. I do, like, I will watch a Bond movie for sure, um, even though it's not my favorite. But I do, I agree with Warren that Dalton is underrated. Uh, Timothy yeah. Dalton is probably my favorite actor outside of Bond. I mean, Sean Connery obviously has, like, better movies, but, like... You're the man now, dog. <laughs> <laughs> and worse movies. He has more movies. <laughs> but Timothy Dalton's a really good actor, and he hasn't done enough. But I really liked him in Penny Dreadful. He's good as Prince Baron in uh, Flash Gordon. He's got some good stuff. Yeah. I, I, I vote for uh, Roger Moore. I like Roger Moore's Sean Connery movies, like, more. <laughs> like, he was in, like, goofier. Uh, sorry, I like Roger Moore's Bond movies more because he was in goofier movies. Yeah. And, like, Roger Moore was definitely more of a beefcake than Connery. Like, Roger, you know what I mean? I respect that Roger Moore quit when he put together the math of how gross it was, like, what Bond was doing. There's, like, a story of, like, he realized he, as an actor, was older than the mom of, like, one of the Bond girls. And he's like, that's fucked up. So oh, really? <laughs> yeah. that, that's why he quit? I, I That's what I heard. I don't know if that's the full story, but... Uh. Um, like Bond is super gross. People shouldn't be making Bond movies. Uh, yeah, I think the best Bond is uh, Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible movies. But that's uh, I, I like those movies. Those are fun for me. I don't know. The the best Bond is uh, Alexander Siddig as Julian Bashir as whatever the Bond like character was that he played on the Hollow Suite. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I watched that. Um, casino royale that peter sellers is in that has like the 20 bonds um that movie doesn't really hold up as well as i thought it would partially because of like woody allen but like it's very much like the comedy of the time and you're like yeah does any peter sellers hold up because seriously (laughs) i mean it's such of an era i can't go back to any peter sellers comedy being there is still being there and yeah uh, being there is really good dr strange dr strange love yeah I, think, I, I loved the Pink Panther movies as a kid, but like I don't. I know think kids that, would yeah. still like the Pink Panther movies, right? Yeah, there's probably just like a bunch of racist and sexist, terrible things oh, in right. there that yeah. I'm not remembering. But yeah. 
Well, my, my real question would be like, who's the best Sherlock? But like for Bond, I also agree with Dennis. I think that uh, Daniel Craig is the most fun. And I wish Pierce Brosnan was more fun. But anyway. Yeah. Goldeneye is good, but it's only Goldeneye. Nobody chose for Her Majesty's Secret Service that Bond, right? Right. Uh, I forget that his George name. George Lazenby. Yeah. Look at how much we all know about Bond. I feel like that's just one of those things like you culturally absorb even if you're not into yeah, it. Yeah, like, I don't give like any shits about James Bond, but I know all this like bullshit trivia just as like a weird contact buzz from being a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, it's the intersection of like bro and nerd culture is Bond, yeah. right? Totally. Well, yeah, because uh, Bond is a bro nerd, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, definitely a bigger thing in the UK than it is in the States because like, it's like mm. their action thing that they is kind of He's like theirs boy. and uh i'm just like uh in the media me among all the other media teachers at school like the new bond everybody's talking about the new bond movie and i'm like i don't care <laughs> yeah i get sick you of show up with like a sleazy landish <laughs> <laughs> i ask has anyone worked construction here because uh, i i haven't i've done contract work a little but i haven't like worked on a real construction site Mike, have you? Yes. Yeah. I thought you did. All right. Is it just a check-in? I mean, yeah, yes, it's, it's the most repulsive. Story there? <laughs> I mean, yes, it's the most repulsive culture of people I've ever been around in my life. I would say that roofers are the worst. And They're I don't know if that counts as construction, but I mean that. Yeah, I think so. Right. Did any ladies take a diet Pepsi break to watch you take your shirt off? Never. I didn't work in the classy. Uh, New York cliche construction company. I worked at uh, just a generic <laughs> uh, apartment related construction company. And uh, man, just the worst. The grossest stories I've ever heard in my life, even now, have never been topped by the stories I heard from roofers when I worked briefly in construction for, you know, obviously for my dad, <laughs> when I was too young to be working with these older men who also, uh, just as, you know, the bizarre fatherly figures they were, I mean, it's just the weirdest people because you basically have to be uneducated to work in construction, which I don't say to be a dick. It's literally like smart people pretend they have less credentials in order to work in this field, <laughs> like because they wouldn't hire you if they if you, they think you're going <laughs> to be too smart or whatever. And, but that said, in the, there's also just so many drug addicts in that profession. And I don't know why that is. But at least in my experience, <laughs> working in construction in Dayton, Ohio, it's just it's crazy, Probably crazy people. pain. From the physical labor, right? Right, it's the labor team. So it's like, are you felon? Cool. Uh, the hammer's over here. I'll tell you one of the gross stories later. It's like, if you like. <laughs> uh, uh, so, <laughs> if uh, what what role do you play with your nerd broy friends? Are you uh, are you more of a, a Jonathan? Are you an Andrew? Or are you a Warren? How how do you define these? Yes, thank you. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think Andrew is the, uh, the 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 guy who finds himself being a nerd among nerds, right? Like he gets he gets shit for having too specific interests and knowing too much and caring too much, which is like what you shit on nerds for. But he gets shit on that like by other nerds. And I suppose uh, Warren is the nerd leader, like he's the uh, alpha male in the nerd crew. Uh, I don't know what Jonathan's role is. Anybody want to define Jonathan's role? Victim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he's the nerd who doesn't have specific knowledge. He's only a nerd because he doesn't fit in anywhere else. Yeah. 
Except now he has magic powers, so maybe not. Uh, I take the fifth on this question. <laughs> I would say we're probably all all Andrews more than Jonathan or Warrens, except for Mike, who's a Warren. <laughs> I, I relate to being more of a Jonathan, so there's that factor, but... It's, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to guess the guy who has Jonathan.com on his wall uh, might be a Jonathan. Uh, I, I was a little worried that uh, Warren, yeah, to me, David like, is the real in these Jonathan episodes, I, I get that he's the leader, but he's also kind of the leader because he's an asshole and he, like, picks on everyone and, like, punishes them or does things they don't want to do behind their back. Yeah. So I kind of would worry that I'm the Warren of, like, just, like, an unintentional asshole at times to my friends maybe but right dennis <laughs> no i don't i don't i don't think mike's a warren i think he's just a leader mike's just more of a leader but he's not the jerk the jerk part of warren oh well thank you i mean the leader thing <laughs> yeah. is really just i feel like i'm good at doing things without thinking about them like that's literally it's just this uh just that thing like and warren. that's a, <laughs> like a warren i can uh, i can start doing things without thinking them through hello Let's get started. I'll say in high school, it felt like we were all yeah. Jonathans, but that's just, I think, the insecurity of the age, mm. like when you're, when you're in high school. Like, we were definitely just yeah, all Jonathans yeah. in high school. All right. I think that's questions. Uh, so why don't we do themes and deep stuff? start off with uh i think we kind of covered this ground in a uh, previous discussion but um it, i just think it's interesting that the specific hells that are designed for buffy most of them are to do with making her feel like she doesn't have uh, access to the same reality as everybody else or making her feel like her perception of what's going on like no one recognizing it so she's like she's sort of being gaslit all the time like the time is shifting and nobody treats that like it's real and then at the, on the construction side, it's really interesting because like the uh, the bro construction guys, like they do see the demons, but because of like masculine posturing, they pretend they don't see the demons, which is another it's way. It's funny of just, that like, they're, willing that admit, they're willing to admit they're willing to create a narration of Buffy and beating then, them all. Uh, up and then we have another. <laughs> and they have yeah. Then there's then there's then then there's another time loopy thing where uh, again it's about Buffy just doesn't have this connection. Everything I say to you, you're going to forget. So she's the only one who can experience these things. And so it's it's the hell that Buffy's being put through is not so much that she's doing a time loop or that she's fighting demons because all that's fairly normal for her. It's that she doesn't have anybody to relate to about it. Um, that's kind of interesting. But um, the main thing I want to talk about is actually Xander in the construction scene. Because uh, Xander is doing the thing, which I think I've been guilty of in the past of being like, oh, yeah, my female friend, we're totally friends and I will totally help you uh, get a job and be your person to talk to about how things suck at work. Uh, unless it means that I have to risk any of my standing at work because I feel tenuous about how my, my role at work. So if standing up for you as a woman means that I have to in any way uh, endanger my role at work, I will not help you at all. And we'll just walk you off site. Uh, I feel like Xander has a main big, big ally fail here. Um, 
because you know like and that's that's the thing nobody feels secure in their like role at work like everybody's constantly worried that they're going to lose points at work um and so when you are in a position of privilege like you're not going to give up uh you know two percent of that privilege for anybody because you feel like you have to keep all you can get um which sucks so like i feel shitty like i, I think Andrew's being shitty but i also like feel like he's being shitty in a way that i've probably been shitty in the past yeah i like um sarah michelle geller's acting in that when she no- she sees what he's doing and is like <sighs> Yeah, she doesn't even bother. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, good stuff, John. I I don't feel like I have anything to add to that. Does anyone? Wouldn't Andrew's spell have made more sense if it was like a perception thing for Buffy where she just saw the other construction workers as demons? Like, and then she's attacking them that way? Like, especially it was set up that way with the one boss, like, grabbing the... uh, whatever those are bolt cutters uh and walking towards her it's like that could be seen as a threat and then like just have him i don't know like maybe that was too obvious but like i feel like that's cleaner than what it was yeah i think that would have been complicated though of like would buffy kill a human by accident there's that yeah she would maybe like have to face charges or something yeah. <laughs> yeah, i think john was right the 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 theme of the episode is disconnecting Buffy from reality. I think that's like super important for the episodes that come next. So I think this was, to me, that's that's my take home theme. This it also is how the episode starts with like Jonathan, what he's saying, how like Buffy always has a plan and she's always, like their perception of her is not the reality of her. And it's that thing of like them as like uh, these white male nerd guys that like, uh, don't feel like they have any power and feel like they're invisible and they're getting trampled over. Like they want to make who they see as being the person in power who happens to be a woman, like, like have her feel like how they feel. Totally. Which doesn't reflect on our current or like, you know, ongoing political situations or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome guys. Want to move on to recommendations? recommendations my first rec is the 2008 jennifer lynch movie surveillance um jennifer lynch made um boxing helena in uh, 1993 and then she didn't direct another movie until 2008 which i feel is crazy but then she's had a pretty good spree of directing since um surveillance is uh bill has bill pullman um he and um an actress whose name I forgot are FBI agents. And it's about them uh, doing massive surveillance um, on these three witnesses to try to connect um, a serial killing. And it's basically like a Rashomon situation where the stories start to disconnect. And so it also connects to the social construction of reality theme going on here. Um, And the movie has twists and it's like mega violent and everything, but uh, it's a pretty good movie. Um, And I recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, I am also, because we have to, <laughs> going to recommend Groundhog's Day. Uh, you can't do a time loop without talking about it. It's the classic. It's funny. Um, I'm going to recommend um, the new time loop movie, Happy Death Day. And there is a Happy Death Day 2 uh, horror movie with a time loop. Um, it's better than it like really has any right to be. It's fun. Um, it's like a very, like, you know, yeah, it's not going to like blow your mind, but it's like enjoyable. Um 
And because we're talking so much about gaslighting and uh, monstrous gaslighting, the new Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss, super about like gas gaslighting with creatures, um, and just because of the title being similar to Life Serial, I'll also recommend the John Waters movie Serial Mom. <laughs> super enjoyable. Uh, and John, why don't you recommend? Well, these recommendations stuff. actually come from the trio, but. Uh... Um, of course, we have to recommend uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5 episode Cause and Effect, in which uh, the Enterprise repeatedly blows up until Data figures out and sends himself a message into the next time loop in the form of the number three. Uh, and also the X-Files Season 6 episode Monday, in which the bank apparently repeatedly blows up. I actually have not seen that one, but... Uh, really? Wow. Yeah, I, I've actually, I've been watching uh, X-Files, but uh, I don't think I've seen that one. I'm just going to watch those apps. Those sound amazing. Yeah, those, yeah, those are easier solid. to watch. They're, you know, just an hour instead of movie length. Um, and we did talk about because of the hand doing, because of the mummy hand doing Adam's Family. Yeah, I'll recommend Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values for a uh, uh, thing. How do you describe a thing? And Values has uh, Mercedes McNabb in it, right? So. That's right. Yeah, th- she's in both of them. Yeah. Like watching this episode with the mummy hand, how like you know you do the green screen thing, and but like for Adam's family to think about like when it's like running along the ground and everything, like that had to be so awful for that performer. To have to, <laughs> do that. Like, That's so funny. It's like I feel that way whenever I see a, a movie with a dog in it. Oh, like that new uh, oh, Harrison Ford movie with the dog, where the dog isn't actually a dog; it was a human that did motion capture, and then they no. animated a dog over. It, and there's like you can see video or footage of like the guy yeah. like, in a green suit that like picks up a like a newspaper in his mouth and then takes it over to Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford's like, "Good boy," and then like, "What? What the fuck? Are you kidding? The Call of the Wild movie? Yeah, yeah that that movie." CGI I just want dog. to watch a movie where Harrison Ford is a dog that's a human. I wouldn't see that. Yeah, I'm not going to see this no called a wild bullshit version. Yeah, I want to see the guy that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. Do you ever see the uh, the footage of uh, Ang Lee doing the motion capture for his version of the Hulk? Yeah, that shit's yeah, amazing. It's pretty awesome. All right, uh, some good Rex guys. Let's do predictions. Virgin Predictions. Michael, you are currently, uh, overall, at a 62.02%. And uh, here in Season 6, you're at a 70.59. It's still your second best ever season, with your best being Season 2 being a 75%. So let's see how you do. Or going way back here. Let's see. Going back to season four, episode five. Uh, this would have been um, beer bad, of course. Beer bad. Michael, you predicted that Buffy will not be hungover again. Now, I would really like to deny this because Buffy is sitting there, just swigging from the um, from the the tequila bottle over and over again, plus the whiskey she had in the crypt. However, I'm worried about the precedent it sets for confirming or denying a prediction based on something we don't see on screen i mean we know she gets a barfing do we yeah, i don't know how you could throw up from drinking and she, not be hung over the next yeah, day she gets sick we know she gets sick okay like, well i think because we know she gets sick we can go ahead and deny this one then that buffy was indeed hung over again so that one's denied i forgot about the sick element that's good okay 
in season four, episode 10, uh, Michael, you predicted that Tara will make fun of Xander. Dennis, when, when did this happen? Oh, or in not? the first episode of season six, she makes fun of him. I think, what did, did she we say? leave this one open or we left it open. Apparently we, uh, didn't, didn't confirm or deny. Did we talk we about have. it? I don't, I don't remember. Recall. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't I think really she makes... talked about it. Okay. Yeah. I think she makes fun of him. Cause she's like, um, he's like, who, who made you the boss? And she's like, you did. And then you said we voted. And then we, you know, she, and then you oh, made that's the right. Okay. Like, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and put that in that that happened in season six, episode one. Wow. Well done. Confirmed. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, in the season four recap, Michael, you predicted that Tara and Willow will do a combined spell that will break the world in a good way. We've revisited this one a couple times. Dennis, why are we talking about that now? Oh, cause, um, in our Slack channel, which nobody could see, but us, uh, Travis brought up that we should have really confirmed that one when they resurrect Buffy. I um, thought we talked about and- this at the time and we decided that it didn't count. I, I, I've changed my mind because I okay. feel like I was just being too much of a dick. Because, um, like, resurrecting somebody, resurrecting Buffy does break the world. And I think I was just, like, stuck on the idea that other people have been resurrected before. All right. I was being too much of a dick. I think Okay, this counts. So, uh, because Dennis wants to stop being a dick, we will uh, go ahead and confirm that one from and season to be, six, and episode to be fair. one. So, we actually... Uh, are doing quite a few uh, retroactive confirmations here. I will wait now for Michael to return. Travis, what were you saying? Oh, to be fair, I have no memory of that conversation we had on the on the episode. I don't think it's aired yet. I mean, there's about- only about 500 predictions. Okay, so Michael, uh, you, we have confirmed the prediction uh, that Tara and Willow will do a combined spell that will break the world in a good way based upon the resurrection that happened in Season 6, Episode 1. We're doing a little bit of retroactive cleaning up of some predictions here. I accept that one. I mean, I, I was cons- I, that's not the type of prediction I was thinking in, when I made that because I was thinking it would be more like a wish spell episode. But it is a pretty broke-ass spell. Uh, I mean, so you're saying that you accept this check for one? I do prediction. accept it, but I'm like, I, I don't think that's what I intended. But uh, you know what? That, I can't control. It's not about what you intended. We, we've never. It's never been about. No, that. that's been that's about been what, well substantiated. Yeah. What is written in the spreadsheet? Okay. Uh, so season five, episode twelve, Michael, you predicted that Giles is going to do something dumb with the salary money that he gets. This is when he gets the retroactive <laughs> salary. Uh, I would like to submit that. This is that money. We don't know this for a fact, but this I think we can safely assume that this is the salary that Giles got in one lump sum uh, from Certainly the Watchers chunk. Council. And that he is doing something with it that is not dumb at all, that he's giving it to Buffy, which he really probably should have done uh, sooner. So I'm going to deny this one unless anybody wants to argue that this is a different sum of money or that this is not, <laughs> this that this is doing something dumb with it. All right. I hear no objections, so that's denied. This one's interesting. Uh, In season five, episode 19, uh, Michael, you predicted Buffy will go back to college in season six. Now, she certainly goes to UC Sunnydale. Um, She does not matriculate. (laughs) By by our very literal definitions of going back. I I would feel like it's almost on Michael's side this time, though, because he said she will go back to college. She went back to college. She went to classes. If we're going to be super literal... Uh, then I guess we have to confirm this one. 
Even though it's a fucking super prediction, this one's worth five times wow. the normal amount. Ranking up. <laughs> even though even, this one seems to actually confirm the long. opposite, like it confirms she's not going to go back to college. You know. Uh, yep. Okay. <laughs> Are you all right, Michael? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Just some your your personal reaction to this is insane to me. I'm loving it. <laughs> Season six, episode four. Jonathan and company will attempt hypnosis on Buffy. Did anything they do today constitute hypnosis? Because I feel like a number of the things that they do skirt a line close to hypnosis, but are they hypnosis? I don't think so. Dennis says no. Dennis Travis is, stuff. is shaking his head no. So we're going to maybe leave this one open. Uh, Yoder, do you have anything to add to that? Maybe that's what they're building up to, you know. They're gathering data. So, yeah. Okay. So we're going to leave that one open for now. Very good. Okay. Season 6, Episode 4. Michael, you predicted that Buffy will get Jonathan and company's cash. This would be the money they stole from the bank. Uh, Dennis, why did you highlight this one? Because that money was clearly spent on the on the Death Star van. <laughs> oh, that money's gone now. There's just no more left. I, I mean, it does seem they, like a bank robbery's worth of, it, of money. It does seem, it. Yeah, it does seem like they spent. Yeah, pretty tricked out van. Plus, like technology doesn't even exist yet. Like, I don't know how they got that or where that even, how much money they had to spend to get that. Yeah, how much for the tech just for the inhibitor alone to make that thing? Like, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe in, uh, we can go ahead and deny this one. Oh, and then, sorry, we should also deny the one below it. Okay. And if we're going to deny that one, we also have to deny the uh, next prediction, which is Buffy gives Jonathan and company's cash back to the bank. It doesn't get to give, be given back to the bank because it is spent on a Death Star van. It's interesting that you're resolving this now because you think all the money is used because this is clearly never dealt with again. Because okay. I don't think that there's any evidence that this is all spent um finally that you're (laughs) (laughs) i mean you can use this to fuel future predictions michael if you you know any information source is valid other than you watching ahead i suppose or googling it i don't know all right uh season six episode four as well uh michael you predicted that we will never meet giles's friend in bath dennis why are we talking about this I don't know. You highlighted this one. Did I? No, oh, well, I didn't. Given uh, one, two, three, four denials and two confirmations, three confirmations, but excuse a, me. Yeah, and one is a super confirmation. That's right. Uh, Michael, your overall accuracy is now a 62.07, so you went up 0.5% there. And your accuracy for this season is now a 62.5. So you gained two and a half percent there. Or no, sorry. You lost several percent there. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. It was 70. Sorry. It was 70. Sorry. It's a major You lost three and a half percent or seven and a half percent there. Excuse me. I have to just say at this point, I think the trio's point counting system makes more sense to me almost than uh, this (laughs) spreadsheet. I, I, the irony of this did not occur to me literally until I watched this episode. I, it's really uncomfortable how close these guys get to home. 
Yeah. <laughs> I well, I've got, I've got more predictions here because I can't help it because that's how this game is played. Uh, okay, prediction one. Giles will disappoint Buffy in season six. This cash handoff that just happened from Giles to Buffy, this is layered with potential and deep disappointment. Like, the cash doesn't come with, you know, him also being a father figure that cares. So I think that, like, there'll be some a greater disappointment. I'm just hiding my face. Sure. Um, the trio, which I'm now calling them, will reuse the demon costume that Jonathan wears from Life Serial. I think it's too good a costume not to use again. Um, I don't know where it comes from. Some kind of magic. Maybe it's the bone. Who knows? But uh, they'll reuse that demon costume. And you know what I'm talking about, right? The Hellboy yep. costume. Great. Andrew, of the trio, trio, will wear another sexist shirt. He can't help it. <laughs> Buffy will never work as a construction worker again. And my super prediction, because I think the trio is a harmless group of guys that are just having fun, no one in the trio will be killed in season six. I think they're unkillable, hype, like evil genies. And they're just fun to have. It's like a, They're like cues. You get three cues in this world, and they're unkillable. Your predictions have been noted in the prediction log. All right. Uh, I've been uh, your host, Dennis St. John. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dennis Comics. That's D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X. Uh, and that is also my dot com. Uh, David Yoder, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Awesome Yoder. It's the word awesome and my last name, Yoder, Y-O-D-E-R. Uh, maybe I'll start making them comics sometime again soon. I don't know. I've been in a real lazy mood lately, so sorry if you're looking for those. Uh, thank you one and all for listening and talking to us at Buffy Virgin. Uh, please rate and review and subscribe. Uh, we really like it and we like talking to you. Uh, you can watch our YouTube. Our Twitter is at Buffy Virgin pod and our Instagram is, uh, Buffy Virgin. Um, where we post stuff. Uh, so you can check us out at bobvirgin.com. Sorry, I already said that. Um, reach out. We love to hear from you, and we'll see you in hell. <laughs> <laughs>